welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 12th of March 2017, entitled Making Our Church a Great Church, Part 2, and the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 33. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles once again this morning to Acts chapter 4. If you're here last Sunday, you know that we began here, said that we would be here for a few weeks coming. As we came to the end of our conference, God working in us individually and seeing so many things to strengthen us individually, many promised that they were going to pray for revival in their own lives and in our church and in our country. And so we began last Sunday to look at this thought of making our church a great church. Making our church a great church. Because the simple truth is, folks, is that to pray for revival, to want revival, to want God to do something in our lives and in our church, things aren't going to carry on just the same. What is it? And of course, we talked about a lot of things last week that we, if you didn't catch that, then maybe you can catch it on the recording. But we ask ourselves, what is it that makes a church a great church? And we said that we are not in any stretch of the imagination speaking of being great in man's eyes. What makes a church great in God's eyes? We read this passage in the book of Acts. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Beginning in verse 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, we pray that as we look back at this passage and other passages this morning, Lord, would you please speak to our hearts? Please, Lord, help us to grasp and understand what you would have for us. Lord, I have absolutely no doubt that you laid this passage and these thoughts upon this preacher's heart. But Lord, you know what we need. And I just pray, Lord, that for each individual here today, whatever that might be, if there be anyone here that's never truly been born again, then please speak to their hearts today, Lord. Show them their need for a Savior. And Father, for each and every one of your children today, Lord, we pray that this would not be wasted time. Lord, but we pray that it would be a time that through your word, by the power of your spirit, that you would speak to every heart the words that need to be spoken. Help us, Lord. Help us to receive what you have for us and respond in whatever way that we need. We'll truly give you all the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when we speak of a great church, if we're not talking about the greatness of the facilities, the buildings, and the things that they own, 
if we're not talking about the greatness of the size of the, of the congregation, if we're not talking about the greatness because of their influence, not necessarily into the lives of those that are lost that need to be saved, but because of their greatness in the eyes of the world. If we're not talking about any of those things, then we ask ourselves, after a number of things, what made this early church, the first church in Jerusalem, what made it great? And we taught last week that one of the first things that made it great was that it had a great purpose. Why are we coming together? I hate to disappoint some of you if you think that our greatest purpose in being here is to make you feel good, to make you feel comfortable, is for you to be able to enjoy yourself. You know, some of those things may well be, but that's not our purpose in coming together. First of all, as we've already said and prayed this morning, our purpose in coming together is that he might be magnified, that he might be glorified, that he might be happy, that he might be pleased. And if you're here just seeking for what the church can do for you, can we grasp that the first thing, one of the greatest things about this church is that the multitude of them that believe, we can't go back through all these things, but first of all, they were saved. They were born again. They belonged to God. They were of one heart. They were of one soul. They had one purpose in mind. And notice the very next thing was that they didn't think the things that they owned that they possessed were their own, but all things were common. You see, they were of one mind, one heart, one soul, one purpose, and it wasn't for what I can get or what it can do for me or what someone can do for me. It's always what I can do for somebody else. With God, it's always the giving. Now, you know, I started to say the crazy thing in man's eyes is that the more you give, the more you get. But the motive is not to give so you can get. The motive is to give so you can get, so you can give some more. It's always on the giving. That's what we want. That in this heart, their mind, their soul, their purpose was for one another. We looked at these things last week. We look back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teachings, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we looked at a number of other scriptures, but we said that one of the great purposes that they had was to obey him, to do what he wanted. They weren't there for what they wanted. They were there for what God wanted. So their great purpose was to do everything that they did in obedience to the Savior. We said, secondly, we saw that it was they were operating in the Spirit. <laughs> we get so good at church. We get it, just like I said about the bulletins earlier, <laughs> we, we, we get it so down pat, you know, we don't really need God a lot of times. We've got it all figured out. We've got all of our programs in place. We can be so smooth and polished at everything that we do. We can impress the world 
with our abilities. You can do all that and still not be a real church and certainly not a great church. You see, if it's going to be a great church, we're going to have a great purpose, a common purpose. That's that all that we do is not in obedience to any of us or man's plans or man's ideas, but in obedience to God and operating in the Spirit. Jesus promised, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We looked at all those passages. We looked at how that was fulfilled. Obedience, the Savior, operation, the Spirit, and thirdly, the offer of salvation. <laughs> I can give you so many things today. I could probably come up with some illustrations that might even make some tears flow and jerk your heart and do all those things. I can come in here and I can tell you how to be a, a better person and how to be a more successful person. I can tell you things that will help you to, to feel better about yourselves and all these things. But folks, the church offered salvation. In Acts 4.33 that we read, and with great power, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that for a church to be a great church, we need to be in one heart, one mind, one soul about these things. And we need a great purpose, a purpose that is beyond us, a purpose that is beyond this world, a purpose that is beyond anything this world thinks of us or what we can do in this world. It is to be in obedience to what he wants of us, to be operating in the spirit that we sing about this morning and in his power and the offering gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every creature upon this earth. Now, there's a lot of other things we do, but I'm saying, folks, to be a great church, there's got to be a great purpose. I believe that's three of the things we see here that was behind that purpose. But I want to give you something else now today. To be a great church, we also see that there, I believe, in verse 33 in those same words, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see, besides a great purpose, if we're going to be a great church, it's going to take great preaching. Now, I purposely did not say great preachers. There's a lot of preachers in this world that, well, some of them think that they're great. <laughs> some other people have difference of opinions. And a lot of that's because they haven't continued steadfastly in the doctrines of the apostles that's been given to them in the first place. We're not talking about no church needs any specific individual in this pulpit proclaiming the word of God except that it be the man that God wants there. You see, it doesn't matter today. It makes no difference whether it's me up here preaching or whether it's Brother Gareth or whether it's Brother Daniel or whether it's any other preacher that you want to stick in this pulpit, it's not the preacher that matters that makes it great. It's the preaching. A great church must have great preaching. So many times, churches can be built on the personalities of men. And folks, I know if it took a man, then... I would still be saying no to God. I know 
There are many, many preachers who call themselves that. Many preachers that have much ability within themselves. They got the personality, the pizzazz. <laughs> They've got that charisma that just attracts and draws, and, and they can build a great number of people because of the personality in the pulpit, but that doesn't make it a great church. I want to tell you today that regardless of whether he's handsome or ugly, whether he speaks quietly, some people ask me, some preacher, why do you get so loud sometimes? I said, I don't know. I can't help it. God knew what I was like when he called me. I am who I am. Each and every one of you are who you are. We shouldn't try to be like somebody else or be like anybody else. I made that mistake early in my ministry. I felt like I had to preach like so-and-so or preach like so-and-so, and I figured out, hey, I can't do it anyway. But what I learned even greater was it doesn't matter. God didn't call me. He didn't call me to be a Charles Spurgeon. He didn't call me to be a D.L. Moody. He called Larry Curtis to preach his word. You don't have to have me to be a great church, but you've got to have Great preaching. What makes preaching great? Well, first of all, I believe that all true preaching must exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to lift Jesus up. I like one of the sayings that Charles Spurgeon once said when he talked about preaching. And, of course, many people said, you know, it seems like that you can't preach without ending up at the cross. And he says, well, you can start anywhere else in the Bible you want to, and there's plenty of places to start, but there's only one direction to go, and that's straight to the cross. You see, Paul said he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Great preaching, all true preaching, will exalt Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 29 you see, John the Baptist was a great preacher of the New Testament. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John was the preacher. He said, Hey, look. Him. Look to Jesus. I don't know how many of you have read and, and realized and know, and, I, and I, if you read me long, I have phenomenal respect for Charles Haddon Spurgeon, his ministry at the turn of the 1900s century, the late 1800s, and we find that uh, phenomenal respect for it, but they used to, of course, usually have about 5,000 people in attendance in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and for those of you that don't uh, make it on Sunday evenings, you'd be glad of this because uh, at least once a month on Sunday evenings, they used to ask, have to ask all the church people to please stay at home so all those people that were waiting outside to get in could get in. Um, you see, it may sound kind of strange to us, but instead of taking up an offering and taking all that time with 5,000 people, uh, people that were there, they actually just automatically, they put their ties in to pay for their seat. They had their place to, to sit and all of that. And... I guess that uh, in the end that uh, 
there were so many people that wanted to get in that couldn't get in that he would have to ask the members to please stay out so that all those people out there could get in. I hope to have that problem someday before I leave. Just ask, don't worry about coming next Sunday because we want the crowds that are waiting on the outside to be able to, uh, to get in the place. We find that two men come out one Sunday evening that had never been in there before, and it's said that they were overheard with one looking over to the other and maybe hadn't been paying so good, but he said, man, man, wasn't that a great preacher? And the other one looked over and says, oh, I don't know. He said, but man, that sure was a great Jesus. <laughs> and I think that's the focus, folks. It's not seeing the man. It's getting the message, not focusing upon the messenger. I know it might be easier to listen if you like somebody instead of dislike them, if you like the looks of them and don't, if you prefer the sound of their voice or whatever, but those are not the reasons that you're listening to preaching, none of them. I don't care if it's the most uncomfortable thing you ever listen to. If it's the Word of God, it'll be of much more effect to you than listening to somebody that you enjoy listening to, but you get absolutely nothing from. You find that the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, he made this comment, which, again, I'm sure that most of you are totally familiar with, but he said in verse, verse 14, he said, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. God forbid. Those of the, I don't, there's any those, any, those that have ever sit in my Romans class, God forbid, those are words that come up in Romans a lot of times, and it's one of the strongest phrases that can be used. And how dare that we could even think such a thing? God forbid that I would ever preach anything, that I would ever glory in anything except Jesus Christ and his cross. John Ryland once said, no sermon is of any value or likely to be useful which has not the three R's in it. Sometimes these are hard for us, but he says, ruin by the fall, redemption by Christ, and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to listen about the ruin, the sinfulness of man. So many times that conviction comes and people want to find another way other than redemption, other than repentance and turning away from that sin. But we find that that's the only preaching that will ever change a life. Charles Spurgeon also said this. He says, preach nothing down but the devil and nothing up but Christ, and you'll never go wrong. Preach the devil down, preach Christ up, exalt him, magnify him. As he lay on his deathbed, a man that so many have read and followed behind for so many, see, so many times, I mean, he was called the Prince of Preachers. But you know, when you look at Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 
It wasn't because of who he was. He lay on his deathbed and he said, my theology has become very simple. Jesus died for me. <laughs> Jesus died for me. You see, they continued in steadfastly in all the apostles' doctrine. But everything from cover to cover, if it leads us anywhere except Jesus Christ, and we've taken the wrong direction, the wrong turn, all preaching will exalt Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan said this, the great preacher from London, he said, the church of God, apart from the person of Christ, is a useless structure. However ornate it may be in its organization, however perfect in all its arrangements, however rich and increased with goods, if the church is not revealing the person, lifting him to the height where all men can see him, then the church becomes an impertinence and a sham and a blasphemy and a fraud, and the sooner the world is rid of it, the better. Strong words, but none true are spoken. We can be all the things that we can muster up in this world. But if we're not exalting Jesus Christ, folks, if you're going to be a great church, you've got to have great preaching. You've got to have somebody in the pulpit, whoever they are and whatever their personality, that first of all exalts Jesus Christ. Whatever else he's preaching, Jesus Christ must be exalted. He not only exalts the Savior, but he edifies the saints. He edifies the saints. You know what the word edify means? It means to, to enlighten, to benefit, to do something that will help. Find that someone has said speaking the truth is important. Speaking the truth in love is all important. Truth without love can become a bludgeon to beat the heart out of a church. <laughs> We do need to speak the truth in love. It needs, to, it needs to exalt Christ. Paul said to young Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. How many of you have children or have had children? Okay, those hands raised. Now, let me ask you this. How many of those that raise your hands that have or have had children ever had a child or have a child now that loves for you to correct them, for you to tell them off, <laughs> for you to discipline them in some way? Have you ever had a child beg you for that? <laughs> that child naturally resist. And it's one of your great responsibilities as a parent to teach that child not to resist that. You see, it doesn't surprise me that people come and sit under preaching and resist what God is wanting to do. When God, the Bible is telling me as a preacher that if I am going to obey him, then part of my responsibility above all is to exalt Jesus Christ above everything else and anything else, but to edify the saints, to reprove, to rebuke when it's needed. 
I know that doesn't feel good. You know, your child probably doesn't come running in there because he knows it's time to be reproved and rebuked and said, okay, I'm ready for it. But it's the only thing that will correct us, that will make us try letting a child rule and not correcting them. Try not trying to discipline them and just let them to do their own thing. You wouldn't be much of a parent if you did. You probably wouldn't want to see the child that grows out of that. You see, great preaching. It's going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's going to enlighten and benefit you, and that's not always good and easy. The reproving, the rebuking, exhorting with all long-suffering and doctrine. You see, it doesn't. Surprise me, but just like as a parent with your child, it does break this preacher's heart. And sometimes I see you resisting what God wants to do with your life. Some of you have got so many abilities. There's so much God could do with you. It's phenomenal. It's beyond even what you can grasp and see and understand yourselves. And yet, so many times I see it being wasted. I know that maybe you're tired of hearing the preacher say some of those things. But just like that child, you can resist and you can rebel if you want to. But in the end, God's trying to help you. He's trying to make you into something that he can use in a special way, not so that you can be magnified, so Jesus Christ can be magnified, not so you can be glorified and everybody can see what great things you're doing so they can stand in shock at what God is doing. You see, preaching carries with it great responsibility. Now, part of that responsibility is to preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, when it feels good, when it doesn't. When you think it's time, when you think it's not time, <laughs> reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all long-suffering and with doctrine, God's Word, God's teaching, what God wants, great preaching. A great church has got to have great preaching that exalts the Savior, that edifies the saints, and exposes sin exposes sin. See, the church no longer takes a strong stand against sin. We see it over and over and over. The world becoming more comfortable with the church and the church becoming more comfortable with the world. We're in the Laodicean church age, not hot, not cold, just lukewarm and making God sick to his stomach. We can be a church. We can be an okay church. We can be a surviving church. I'm saying if we want to be a great church in God's eye, you think that it's easy to stand up and expose sin? You ever had one of those times when somebody was preaching and you thought, man, who told the preacher that? <laughs> who told the preacher I did that? <laughs> who told the preacher I went there? 
because you think he's looking straight at you and he's preaching straight at you. Well, somebody might find something out sometime and may do that, but I got news for you. God knows what you did and where you went, why you did it and why you didn't. Maybe it's God that's looking you straight in the eyes. Maybe it's God through that preacher that's wanting to expose your sin. Hey, it's not easy as a person to stand up here. Matter of fact, you want me to really, really, really preach hard against sin? It's a whole lot easier to get me in front of a whole bunch of strangers where I don't know if they're good, bad, the devils, or the angels. I have no idea. It's a lot harder to try to be the preacher I need to be when I do know you, when I do love you, when I do care, when I do know there's sometimes things in your life that doesn't make me love you any less, doesn't make you any worse Christian than me. <laughs> but I know it makes you less than what you can be. I know that God could do so much with you. And yes, it doesn't make me love you less. It doesn't even make me angry. It just hurts. You see, part of great preaching has got to be exposing the sin. Why is sin so rampant? You think nobody's ever liked it. When those preachers rant and raved and preached against sin and told how horrible and how awful it is, and somehow people's got the idea, well, we can be more successful by just not exposing that sin. <laughs> just let, it, let God take care of that. Well, who do you think God's going to take care of that with? You find that great preaching will expose sin. <laughs> I've read a lot of stories about the great evangelist D.L. Moody as well. And I remember reading one of the stories of a little boy that went to hear Mr. Moody preach. And, of course, Mr. Moody was known for exposing sin very vividly, preaching against sin. And this little boy got back home, and one of his friends asked him, says, what did that preacher preach about today? He said, he preached about sin. Looked at each other for a minute. He said, well, said, what did he say about it? The boy scratched his head and he says, you know, he says, I can't remember just exactly what it was he said, but I know he was against it. <laughs> I wonder, even when maybe people don't know all the specifics of our beliefs and why we believe this and that, do they know you're against sin? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Great preaching. People need to know whether they know all the reasons that that preacher's against it or not. They need to know that he is against sin. What makes a great church? You see, we can be a great church. Our church can be a great church. Not because of who we are, but it'll be there because as believers, as a congregation of true, genuine, born-again believers, we have the purpose of heart to do what God says, to do it God's way, regardless of who likes it and who doesn't, regardless of how popular or unpopular that it makes us. We're going to be a great church. We gotta be a great, we gotta have a great purpose.
but we've got to have great preaching. Hey, I don't say it to be crude, but I may have a heart attack before I finish this sermon today. I could be out of here, and I mean, it only takes one heartbeat, and I'm gone. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not trying to hurry it along any, but uh, I'm not afraid of it. And you know, there's been times when in the flesh, I know, I know you can't think it possible. There's been times in the when, I, when I've actually gotten so fed up, I wanted to say wave bye to some of you too. <laughs> I've even pleaded with God to let me go somewhere else sometimes. But God wouldn't let me. And I thank God that he loves you enough and I love you enough that I'm still here to torment you. <laughs> but I'm here because God's never let me go anywhere else. There's only one thing that has allowed me to stick. When people have turned, when people have left, when people have done all these other things, is simply to know I'm where God wants me to be. I'm in the center of his will. That can change next week as well. I've been here these years because God has had me here for a reason and a purpose, even if it was just to be your torment. God's had me here for a reason. God may be ready to put somebody else in this pulpit. God may be ready to take me out of here forever. He may be ready to take me down the road somewhere else. He may be ready to do something totally different. What we've got to grasp is, folks, you don't need a certain man, a certain personality to be a great church. You need great preaching of God's Word, not because of who the man is, but because of what God's Word is and because God's got the man there that he wants there that is willing to exalt Jesus Christ in what he preaches to edify the saints and build them up and help them, whether it means reproving, rebuking, exhorting, or whatever it is that's needed to be willing to expose sin in all this vile blindness because it does, it gets so dark that we're even blinded to the, to the sin in our own lives a lot of times and it's destroying us and it's destroying our effectiveness. We're not doing anything about it. You see, just like that little child, you can accept what's being said to you and you can obey it and you can listen to it you can respond to it with the right attitude or you can rebel and say you don't want any of that. I'm just saying that these are the things that I see here that made this church a great church. And I believe it's what will make us a great church. I don't think that I can preach good enough to make you a great church. And I don't think for a moment that if I were gone next week, you could be a better church. You could be a better church the next week as long as it's God's man that's standing there that's preaching according to his word. God has the right person, but will never, ever, ever be a great church unless those things are there. So when we come together as a church, do we want to be? Do we really? And I'm, I'm only you know in your heart. Do we really want to be a church that God sees as a great church? Or are you just looking for a place to coast along, a place to ease your conscience because you know somehow that you ought to be in church somewhere? Are you here because you want to be part of a great church? 
You really want God to take your life and to use your life as he wants to? Are you willing to follow God? You see, sometimes it's hard for us, even the next pastor, the preacher that comes along and stands in this pulpit. He may do things different. You know that after my dad was my pastor for so many years, and I was like, you know, when, 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 when my dad left my home church, my sending church that I'm still a member of, and I was 21 years old, you know, the, the next pastor that, that came along, I was probably the biggest thorn he'd ever had in the flesh for about the first two years he was there. <laughs> and I never, ever, ever, ever spoke to him disrespectfully. I never spoke to anybody else disrespectfully about it. You know how it is sometimes when the, that kid's doing exactly what you tell him to do, but man, has he got an attitude about it when he's doing it. <laughs> he's not happy about it. You see, I found it hard to adjust because when he changed this and he changed that, he wasn't doing it like my dad had done it. <laughs> and of course, that was the right way because that's the way he had done it. I had enough, thank God I'd been taught enough that I was never disrespectful, but I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> And I know that sometimes that showed through until God showed me one day that, hey, it's not a matter of right and wrong. They're both following the Lord. They're just going about it in a little different way. And I had to go to him to his face and apologize to him for being such a pain. But you know, sometimes it may not be the way that we think for whatever kind of reasons that it ought to be. But are we willing? Are we willing to follow God? Are we willing to submit to him first of all? And then those that God deems to choose to put in the leadership, whoever that might be. Do we want to be a great church? Great purpose? Great preaching? We'll look at some other things soon. Father, you know the hearts of everyone here this morning. Lord, during our Bible study time and now during this time, Lord, we've made it clear that everything should lead to Jesus Christ. There may still be somebody here this morning because this great church was made up of believers. There may be somebody here today that's never become a believer. They've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, I ask you right now, please, please, Lord, would you show them your grace, your kindness, your mercy towards them. Whatever it is that they've got, if they don't have Jesus Christ, I pray that today they might come to realize they can have Jesus. They can be a part of the body of Christ. They can be a part of your church that you have built, that you continue to build here upon this earth to do your work. Lord, I pray I pray this day that they might come to recognize that Jesus Christ is right here waiting for them this day. Lord, there may be others. We know that there are some even here today and, and others, Lord, that are awaiting baptism to become members of this church. Father, I pray that you would help them, Lord, to have a desire not just to become a member for the sake of being counted on a roll, but to be a part of a great work that you're doing. Lord, please, we don't want any man to be magnified. 
I would rather you move me out of the way this very day than for anybody to think that I think that I have to be here for you to do a great work. But Lord, I pray that you would always have great preaching from this pulpit, whether man likes it or whether they don't, those that are instant, in season, out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all long-suffering. Lord, I pray that this would be a place where great preaching comes from this pulpit because it's the preaching that you want under that power. Lord, it was with great power that they proclaimed the resurrection that only comes from you. Help us, Lord, with the prayers that we've prayed already that we genuinely want revival in our lives and we want revival in our church and we want revival in our, in our city, in our country. Lord, help that revival to start in each and every one of us. So I pray, as you speak to hearts today as only you can, may each of us respond in knowing that, Lord, when we've been here today, we've not only heard what you had for us, but Lord, we've responded to it in the way that we need to. And we give you the praise, the thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.